0: This episode of Echoes in the Bones is brought to you by the Institute of Cultural Policy and Innovation, ICPI. ICPI, providing services in business development and coaching. ICPI, leaders in online training in event planning and intellectual property. Visit our website today at www.icpi-ja.com. On this episode of Echoes in the Bones, we speak to legendary writer, journalist and music historian Julian Jingles-Reynolds. Mr. Reynolds,
1: how are you doing? I'm the law. (laughs) I'm the law. Giving thanks and thank you so much for having me on your program. I, I really respect that. Thank you.
0: Yeah, man. So tell us. Um, we usually start at the beginning. Or, yeah. Oh, you get involved in this thing. or you come up in the business. <laughs> oh, tell us a little about your background.
1: Actually. Well, boy, my background in the music aspect goes back to the late 40s, early 50s. I, I actually was born in Fletcher's Land and where I was born my, my at, at the top of Duke Street across the street was the very famous at the time Mel, Melrose Hotel uh, where they would have live music and you know people visiting would stay there, it was a Kingston Hotel and my back gate in Duke Street across John's Lane was a very well-known dance hall known as Cateras. So my mother later on would tell me that there's no way I could have escaped the impact of the music on me because from she was carrying me in in her stomach, I was hearing the music coming across the street from Cateras. Cateras is known and well-known for dances. It was a dance hall. It was a catering school, but uh, on the weekends, they played music. And then, again, I, I, the first school that I went to was the famous uh, dance hall again, known as Forrester's Hall, down on North Street in Lovelane. Uh, there wasn't music there when I went to that school, uh, prep school on Mondays, but I remember could see the the donkey cart or the, the van or truck come to get the sound systems that play there on a Saturday night, uh, the big sound system. So I was surrounded by, by music. Uh, and, and my father was an avid music lover. Avid. So I, I really was exposed to the music from from infancy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I I I grew up in Jonestown at first when I left Fletcher's Land. And again The music, I I can recall back in those days, early 1950s, that on a Tuesday, where I was living in Jonestown, I could hear dance music being played down the street. I I lived on two well-known streets in uh, Jonestown. One was Cook Street and one was Penn Street. These were dance, where you had well-known dance halls and music coming from, so... I was always surrounded by the music, and my father drove that to me into me also. Uh, it was inescapable. But after leaving again uh, Jonestown, my, my, my mother did not too dig for her only son to grow up in the West. She, she had a sensitivity about West Kingston. So we moved from West Kingston all the way over to East Kingston. and I grew up in Raytown. Rallington Town, Franklin Town, Vineyard Town. And it was at Ellison Primary School that I, well, it was, in, it was called government schools then that I went to. And I was exposed again to the music because the, 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 the well known uh, group, uh, Bunny and Skitter, was one of the top recording groups. But Bunny and Skitter was really a top recording for Studio One. Uh, the school that I went to, Ellison which was in uh, East Kingston, Franklintown, right at the corner between Franklintown and Raytown. Bunny and Skitter in the late 57, 58. I, I started going there in 57, I think. But Bunny, a girlfriend, was in school with me. Uh, 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 and I remember sometimes in the afternoons they would come to Bunny and Skitter that is recording artists. early talking about 1958 that period 57, 58, 59 come Bunny and Skitter to see uh, Bunny's girlfriend at the elementary school that I went to and so I was exposed to these recording artists coming from Studio One, the studio, having recorded, and would be telling me, as a youth in in school, about their session they just had. Mm. So again, it's like a a path that I was on all the while exposed to the music and those who were in it. So I I really went through that, and uh, I started doing a lot of things early. A lot of things. One was reading. Uh, I remember when I was about 6, 7, when I look back on those days, my father got me the Star newspaper. Had someone deliver the Star there like two or three times per week. I was like 7 years old for me to read the Star. So I guess from those kind of... A, I always had books. My father wasn't a big reader, but he was a talker, debater, trade unionist, walkman. But he always made sure that books were there for his only son to read. So again, I was exposed to the literary aspect of life. And I guess these are the things that impacted me in terms of the direction that I ended up taking. Because I, 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 I started writing very early. Uh, I was like 15.
0: Mm. Tell well, us about school. School. Ellison? Yeah, all of the schools.
1: All of the schools? Yeah. Great. Um, Ellison elementary school, primary school, government school was an elephant school for me, in that I was exposed to a lot of youths who we all grew up working class uh, in a city, and I was exposed to all kinds of things, all kinds of things, and I was encouraged to, I, I remember even then at school... For some strange reason, I was the one who, when we had breaks, recession, uh, would be the one who would be organizing whatever little skits or whatever we did in break, and they always turned to me to do, like, uh, uh, police and thief, cowboy and Indians, but from then, I was given the responsibility of coming up with those storylines and skits and all that. So, I I enjoyed school a lot. I, I... I was uh, fortunate the first time I took the they, they call it then scholarship which is a common entrance exam and I was fortunate to have gotten uh, uh, a common entrance uh, from Ellison to Kingston College uh, and that again was another great move for me because I, I really was exposed to some amazing things at Kingston College amazing people amazing youths teachers, I, I, I tell people I remember when I was like in foot form, I, I was being taught philosophy at KC. Uh, I, 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 I was exposed to all kinds of things. And I started writing then uh, I, I think I showed a line uh, and my English teachers would tell me that I could write. And so, when I, at 15, when I told my parents that I wanted a typewriter, and without any hesitation, my mother and my father gave the money to my dad, and he took me down to Harbor Street, a place, never forget, A. Leonard Moses, and I got my Smith Corona. <laughs> it was at 15. To begin my writing, my career, my whole, you know, uh, exercise as a writer. And it was from that I went into writing. I started writing my novel when I was 16 years old. A reason for living. I was 16. Just left Casey because I decided I wasn't going to know sixth form or take any more examinations, what have you. I was going to write. I knew that I was going to write. And I left school. I had a... A, a, a short story I got published at the Gleaner. Amazingly. And when I tried to get another piece of fiction work we published, the editor, Great Theodore Sealy, then uh, interviewed me and asked me what it is that I wanted us to do. And I told him that I have a novel I'm working on and I'm gonna be I'm gonna write. And he said to me, Listen, let like I tell you something. You can make it as a living as a writer in Jamaica. My advice to you is that there is a uh, exam we have coming up uh, in looking at this on the Sunday paper, the Gleaner, for journalists, young journalists. And that's how I went into journalism, straight from KC, because Mr. Seeley directed me to, yes, still encourage you to do your novel, your writing, what have you, but you need a steady job. And if you're going to be a writer, become a journalist. So that's how I did Professionally. Journalism. Yeah,
0: so when you, when you became a journalist, what, what, were you a beat writer? What areas did you cover initially?
1: I was assigned to the sports desk.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, I was assigned to the sports desk. Which I didn't mind because I love sports a lot. Coming from Casey, coming from Ellitson, coming from Lena city... Cricket, football, I love sports. So, but I also, because of my father's activity as a port worker and a trade unionist, I also was always exposed to the political life of Jamaica through my parents. Uh, My father was a a, a member of the Bustamante Industrial Trade Union the big union, which was coming out of the Jamaica Labor Party, or yeah. uh, the Jamaica Labor Party came out of the BITU. Uh, and my mother was from the opposite camp. So again, I was brought up in a household wherein my father was a laborite, but my mother was a comrade. And they lived together for 40 odd years. And, uh, was, I was just exposed to them when they internally had their disagreements. But they still continued living. They didn't separate through politics. But it it, it nurtured me and and it, it gave me another sense of direction. So while I was on the sports desk at the Gleaner, I informed the editors that I really would like to do some covering of the political because I had an interest and a knowledge of that. And I was assigned to work with the chief political reporter who was a deputy editor at the time a man by the name of um, I forgot his name now but he was a, a, an excellent journalist and so I ended up going into that direction coming from what although I was really on the political I continued for some reason they made me continue to work from the sports desk so I was always in the the sports fraternity and most of my friends who were journalists were on the sports dance and I I enjoyed that also but then I had a disagreement I had a disagreement with the the, the editor himself uh, and and the the deputy editor because this was in 1968 during the famous Walter Rodney University of the West Indies Affair I remember getting up one morning a Sunday morning uh, Monday morning I think it was and heard a news report on I think it was JBC 730 News that the then Prime Minister uh, you 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 lost a share had uh, denied a re-entry of Walter Rodney into Jamaica and had banned all of the so-called black power books. And I I was so hurt by the move that I decided I was going to write an article. Now, this would be my first article that I would be writing that had nothing to do with reporting. It was a byline article. And when I wrote the article and handed it in, Mr. Sealy told me that um I should go to the JBC where I heard the the news report coming from and get all of the details the facts and make sure it's in the article and you know I kissed my teeth but I did it because he he was the man in charge and he knew what he was talking about but even when I did that they paid me for the article but (laughs) never did publish it I, I just walked away from the gleaner I just said no I ain't going to continue with this shit. This is what I'm going to be exposed to. Because I was that kind of person. You know, I'm in the streets with my youths and my friends and all that. So I left the Gleaner and went back to writing, finishing my novel. This was in 1968. Uh, my father did not like that move and he went down to the Gleaner and spoke with Mr. Seeley, the editor-in-chief. And Mr. Seeley, they they, they, they identified it as a, a, a youthful act, I guess, you know. And they said I could come back to the cleaner. But I said, all right, I would go back, but I would not go on the staff. I was on the staff before. And from then on, I just became a byline, a feature writer. So I got my exposure very early. I mean... I was writing byline articles when I was like 1920, which was extremely unusual. I mean, looking back afterwards to then, I mean, they gave me a lot of privileges at the Gleaner, a lot. Uh, by the time I was 22, 21, 22, I was writing two to three weekly columns. I was a columnist at the Gleaner, I wrote a column that to this day is, I think, the biggest column and one of the most popular columns ever. It's called Record Shop. That came out in the Weekend Star on, on Fridays. And Record Shop, again, was another milestone for me because Record Shop was a column that came out in the Friday Weekend Star that everybody read. But originally, it was about British and American records. All the British pop tunes, all the American tunes that were released in England, in America, and wherever else, was what Record Shop was composed of. And I asked the editors, at I said, listen, I would like to write Record Shop, but from a Jamaican perspective, because the Jamaican music industry was just now, you know, breaking out in the, in the, in the 60s, late 60s. And they allowed me to do that. So, I had that column, and then I continued. I took over another column in the Gleaner. That uh, was Mary Round, the name of the the column, written by an upper middle class professional who was in advertising. I would call his name now because he's still alive, what have you. But then, for whatever reason, they had me take over that column. I was like 21 years old. And that column covered not just music, but the entertainment Industry at the time. I I did plays, reviewed plays, uh, fine art, anything that was dealing with culture. And I must say, and and give much compliment to uh, Barbara Gluden, because she was a featured editor. And it was she who really saw and, you know, have control over all of the works that I put in, except for The Star, because that was a different editor. But she did a lot of work for me with the, uh, the Gleaner and that column. So I was writing those two columns at that age. Uh, I mean, I got exposure. I, I remember I did uh, essays on like the philosopher Bertrand Russell. Um, name it, whatever it is, I would write frequently in the Southern Gleaner because really I, I was a writer. I, I was always a writer. So I read a lot, and that's why I said, for some reason, I started reading The Star when I was six, my five, seven, and I continued reading. I read all of the novels. Uh, my, my, my uncle, who was a Cuban, and my cousin who went to St. George's College, they were avid readers. So I grew up in that environment wherein people that I was very close to were readers. So I read a lot. I mean, I read Lady Chatterley's Lover when I was like about 14, uh, all of the, the fiction Somerset and what have you and that induced and encouraged me to write so I, I just wrote and and it I, I was writing good enough for those work, writings to be published and that's how until this day I said I have to give a lot of credit to Barbara Gluden and to Theodore Seeley and the other editors who made Julian Jingles which is my, my pen name from then what it is because they really gave me a lot of leeway
0: so when did you start to write more about the the persons who used to record the songs from the, the records when no, you started to same talk, time okay same time Tell us about
1: it. That, 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 that's a very very interesting question because Jamaica was burgeoning uh, things were happening. And and people, ordinary, not even necessary, ordinary, but Jamaicans were stepping out. It, It was, Jamaica was still a newly independent country, five years, six years into independence. So a lot of Jamaicans were doing things. And because the entertainment industry and reggae was coming of age then, I started to focus on the people who were making these things happen. Uh, I wrote about all of the, well, not all, but majority of the leading entertainers of the day. I was able to, not just the the singers, but the producers. I developed relationship with them, uh, and I wrote about them. I just realized a a year or two ago, I was doing some research in uh, some of the things I wrote, and I realized that I did three feature articles on, the, 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 the famed Jamaican artist and sculptor, uh, my namesake, my kinsman, Capo, uh, Malika Capo Reynolds. I did three articles on Capo, which is amazing. You know, I wrote, Albert uh, Albert Huey, Barry Watt, I mean, name them, I, I, I did them, because I, I was looking at people who were making things, doing things, uh, but the music industry, I, I, I particularly uh, paid very close attention to, so I wrote. Uh, it is it is it is now stated that I would have written the first feature article on Barmah and the whalers, which was in 1969, mm-hmm. as a feature. Yeah, that came in the, Friday in the in the Weekend Star.
0: So tell us about that. Tell us why why what what prompted you to do a feature on on Marley? Especially when you, when you look at the context of, like, gleena and the Jamaican situation, where the music was not given any respect. At yeah, that. yeah,
1: by the by the masses.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, however, the quote unquote the masses, the ones who continued to love and understand the music, and who made the music acceptable because they never deal, they never bowed or turned away from it. And we who were in the streets who recognized that something was happening that was unique to Jamaica. Uh, And having developed the relationship, one of the things that I had, I think, going for me, and in this particular case with the whalers, that they were moving and influenced by Rastafari. Uh, The late great Kumi Plano, Martima, was their guided And mentor and what have you so they were really very much interested in following what I was doing because here is this young journalist who was writing about what was happening in terms of the culture and the people at that time at the grassroots level Uh, I I also smoked a lot of weed I, I really enjoyed smoking ganja at that age, as a youngster. And my head was not, you know, I wasn't professing on making a lot of noise, but I believed in what the Rastafari movement was saying and doing. So I gravitated to people like Bob Marley and the Whalers to really capture what they were singing, what they were talking about, what they were bringing out, which is the suffering of the masses.
0: Stop. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed that episode, please subscribe to the show and give us a five-star review and even drop us a comment if something really stood out to you.